0: Bibles to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Now throughout the entirety of the scriptures, we see this importance of community. You know, God didn't just save an individual, He saved a community. And, and the reality is for us too, is He rescued us. In order to be part of a community of believers, we see in the Old Testament that God saved Jacob and his family by taking them to Egypt during a famine. God eventually ended up changing his name to Israel, and thus God's chosen people we know as the Israelites. And you see in Exodus that God's people grew to an enormous amount of people whom he eventually rescued out of the hands of the Egyptians and delivered them to the promised land. And that theme of community carries throughout the Bible. And in the New Testament, we see the church born. And these communities, they they were not blood-related, at least not in the sense of, Coming from the same relatives, the same blood relatives. Rather, now God's people come together because of the blood shed for them by Christ on the cross. For the sins of every person who would ever believe. I mean, think about it this morning. Just look around at those who are here. We are here because of one reason. Because of what Christ has done for us. Isn't that amazing? Like we, we would have no business knowing anybody here in this room apart from what Jesus has done. Most of us would never come in contact with other people except for our salvation. But here is what I have found to be true. Christian unity can be fragile at times. We can be a very fickle people. The reality is we still live in a fallen world and our lives are still affected by sin. Yes, for those who have repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, we have been forgiven of our sins. But the finality of dealing with our sins is still in progress. Our full salvation hasn't yet come. Therefore, unfortunately, we still sin against one another. And because of that, Christian unity is put in jeopardy on a regular basis. And this is one reason why I think Paul writes what he does in our text this morning. Uh, Here's the title of the message. It's this, earnestly love one another. Earnestly love one another. And, And here's what I would like for us to walk away with today. Here's my big idea. Loving others flows from a heart that has been changed by the gospel. In in order to earnestly love one another, we must first encounter the gospel, repent of our sins, and place our faith in Him. And then when that happens, loving others will be an overflow of our hearts in light of that. So this morning, let's jump into our text. We're gonna be in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 22. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if, Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning for the hope that we have in Jesus. Our chains are released. We can sing, we are free, yet not I but through Christ in me. Lord, truly you are our only hope, but Lord, you are a sure, everlasting hope. And Father, this morning I pray that you would expose anything in us that has led us to, to hate others, Lord, or even led us to avoid, led us from, uh, kept us from pursuing earnestly loving others. God, renew our understanding of the gospel, Lord. Keep us from growing familiar with the good truth that we have been rescued from our sins. And so, Lord, in light of that, I pray that you would lead us to a deeper love for one another, especially those who are hard to love. And, Lord, here's the reality. We are hard to love. We all have our moments where we are far from Christ in our actions, and yet your mercies are new every morning; great is your faithfulness. So, Lord, would you would you speak to us? Would you encourage us, Lord? Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, thank you for your word. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, last week, Aaron led us through the previous verses that spoke of the call of Christians to live holy lives. This holy living, though, it doesn't spring from a place of shame or a place of demand. It's not a pull-up-your-bootstraps-on-your-own on kind of holy living. Just take a look again at verse 13 in chapter 1. It says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This holy living is a, a first of all, look at your salvation. Set your hope on the grace of Christ. Let that be your motivation to live a holy life. Verse 17 continues. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing That you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What, What Peter is saying there is don't take the gospel lightly. Don't belittle it. Don't somehow belittle Christ's sacrifice for us. But in light of your great salvation, in light of the payment for your sin, live holy lives. And part of living holy lives is earnestly loving one another. And this this ability to love others isn't something that we can pull out from inside of us. (laughs) Our nature is not to instinctively love one another and consider others as more important than ourselves. And that's what we are going to talk about today. So what gives us the ability to love one another? Here's the first thing. The ability to love others comes from belief in the gospel. The ability to love others comes from belief in The gospel. Look at verse 22 again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That last phrase there, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, this is the main phrase. This is what Peter is wrapping everything else around. This call to love one one another earnestly. So let me remind ourselves, first of all, what love is. What is love? I mean, our culture has this all screwed up, don't they? There's a lot of talk about self-love, isn't there? Hey, you gotta love yourself. Love is love. You can love whoever you want to love. All these things that, that... Lead us to a place of distraction from what love truly is. So, what does love mean? As Christians, we know we can only find that definition from one place, and that's God's Word. So, as you think about places in Scripture that talk about love, what's one of what the first passages that come to mind? 1 Corinthians 13. So, let me ask you to turn there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is known often as the love chapter. If you have been to any amount of weddings, chances are you've heard from this, but, but this is not a specific wedding passage. Does it deal with marriage? Absolutely. But th- this is the call for how we should live amongst one another, how should we should treat one another. In the first three verses, we're not going to read those, but what it's speaking of is that, look, you can do amazing things. You could speak with the tongues of angels. You could, you could prophesy. You could have all understanding of all mysteries and knowledge. You could move mountains. You could give away everything that you have. You could actually be burned at the stake for what you proclaim. And yet if there's no love, you have nothing. And then it goes on. He goes on, Paul does, in describing what love is in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It lets the other person choose the restaurant to go to. It is not irritable or resentful. What I think about there is love doesn't roll their eyes at the person that they say they love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. What I think about there is love doesn't rejoice when others suffer because of their sin. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is how we are to treat one another, especially in the household of God. God. So why is Christian unity so hard? It's because loving others is difficult. This is not an easy passage. If you're reading through this and thinking, man, this is easy. I'm not sure what world you live in. It is hard to love one another well. And what we see in 1 Peter is that Peter gives us a deep level of intensity in how we are to love. He says, love one another earnestly. The Greek word here is ektinos, which means continuously and without ceasing. Your translation may say something like fervently, deeply, constantly. Listen, in other words, our our love for, for one another Especially as believers, should never come to an end. We don't just love when it's easy, it takes hard work to love one another. I want to say, I want you to say, somebody next to you, say this, say, I am hard to love. Go ahead. Do not say, Yes, you are back, all right? (laughs) If you are, repent. We all have moments when we are hard to love, and this is why Peter is saying, listen, you have to love one another earnestly, continually, constantly. You've got to be fervent in it. You've got to give it your all. So the question I want to ask now is, what gives us the ability to love others earnestly? And that's what's on the screen right there. The ability to love others comes from belief in The gospel. Verse 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Let's just talk about that. What exactly does this mean? This is a little bit confusing. So is this purification of our souls something that, that we have done? I mean, the way it's written We could think that. It says, having purified yourselves, like as if this is something you can do. What about obedience to the truth? Does this mean our purification comes through our obedience? Like somehow, like is obedience referring to our ability to obey the law, our ability to do good works? Is is, is our good works that which purifies us? Now as you look at the context of all of scripture, we know that Especially in Ephesians in our series, we talked about the fact that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's it's not by works of righteousness, so that no one can boast. So it can't mean that our obedience to the law is what earns our purification. So, what does it mean to obey the truth? Obedience to the truth is believing in the gospel. How do we obey truth? We believe it. We don't, we can't. It's not something we necessarily live and work. It's something that we believe. We believe the gospel. It's by faith that we are saved. Faith is belief in the gospel. It's placing our faith in the good news. It's not obeying the law by what we do that purifies us. So let's just look at the context of this verse that rules purification out by our works. Look at that first phrase again in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Listen, notice that having a sincere brotherly love is not part of obedience to the truth. Sincere brotherly love is an outward action of obeying the law. Do you understand that? Like we love one another, that's, that's part of obeying the law. This is not including in obeying the truth. Rather, obedience to the truth, believing in the gospel, does what? It results in brotherly love. Look, look again at, the, at the, the way it's worded. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for... A sincere brotherly love. The brotherly love, the the living out of obeying the law is a response of something that's happened internally. So when we obey the truth, when we believe the truth, when we respond to the gospel, it is God who then purifies our souls through our belief in the gospel. When we first come to truly believe in the good news, it results in purifying our souls, which gives us then the ability to love others. Listen, we we can love others to a small degree without believing in the gospel, but nowhere near the fullest effect of what true love is. And, And I found this to be true in my life. When I allow my flesh to rule, I'm not thinking of loving others and if i am there's usually a, a selfish motive behind it like if i love this person then i'm going to get this in return that's that's often how i that's what that's how i work when i am in the flesh and so this morning brothers and sisters have you put your belief in the gospel have you trusted in the good news of jesus if you have has that produced a deep Love for those around you, especially those in the household of God. Perhaps this morning you see a pattern in your life where where there is a lack of love for the gospel. It could mean one of two things. Perhaps you are a believer in Christ and you've slipped in your understanding of the good news. You've, what I like to say, assumed the gospel and allowed it to fade in your heart. Let me encourage you, believer, remember, God was the one that opened your eyes. He is the one that gave you faith. He is the one that rescued rescued you. It was nothing that you did. It's only by his mercy that he saved you. Therefore, when we understand this, when we understand that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by anything that we have done, then when we look at others, we're not comparing our resume to theirs. We're realizing we had no resume apart from Christ. And so therefore, when I look at others who are struggling in their sin, I have compassion because I know apart from God's grace, I could be lost Believing in the gospel, trusting in the good news that we did not deserve to receive should lead us to a place where we we naturally, we grow in loving others. A lack of love could mean you as a believer, you've just, you've slipped in understanding what the gospel is. But there's another side to this. Perhaps you've never put your faith in Christ at all. Therefore, there's no love for the good news and there's no love for others. Perhaps this morning you need to repent for the first time. So, where do you find yourself today? The ability to love others comes from belief in the gospel. Look at verse 23. I'm gonna read that, first, that last phrase in verse 22 again because these tie together. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Here's the next thing. The ability to love others comes from our eternal hope through God's word. The ability to love others comes from our eternal hope through God's word. These verses here give us another reason to love one another earnestly. Not only do we love others because God has purified us by faith, but also because we have this sure hope in his word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been saved not to an imperishable, not to a, a perishable seed, not to something that can fade, not to something that can be taken away. We are born of an imperishable seed. We will never lose our life in Christ's. This new life that we have received through the living, abiding word of God. Verse 24 and 25, they're from Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Jesus himself said something very similar in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass. Pass away. Brothers and sisters, this should give us great hope this morning. His word will never pass. Just consider the ramifications of this. We are safe, we, we ourselves are safe through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God abides in those who have been born again in Christ. What does the word abide mean? it means it remains, it stays, it's eternal. This, this means our salvation is eternal. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Brothers and sisters, there are people out there who think they can lose their salvation. We don't see this anywhere in Scripture, and we don't see this here in First Peter. God's word is eternal. God's word is what saves us to an imperishable seed, a seed that cannot be taken away. This should give us incredible hope. God's word is completing the work that it began in us. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. And listen, we can't even ourselves jump out of the Father's hands. <laughs> we can't if, if we have truly been born again, if we have truly repented of our sins and placed our faith in Christ, we ourselves can't even leave him. And he will never leave us or forsake us. This brings us back to something that I've said often. We should be the most joyful people in all the land. We have a joy that points us to our great Savior. As believers, we had no hope that God would own a rebel to his will. And if we had not loved him first, we would refuse him still. Listen, when we live in light of this hope, when we are aware that his word will never fail us, that God's word will sustain us for eternity and all of it is undeserved, it changes the way that we look at others. I mean, we, we look around at the people who are just throwing their lives away. We see them suffering. We see them pursuing after the wor- world. And, and we have tasted that the Lord is good. And only, we only know that because he has opened our eyes to see that... And we know that we desperately need him. And so instead of looking down on them, and we ask God to open their eyes. And for other believers in Christ, we know the struggle. We know that we ourselves are even prone to wonder. And so we don't give up when our brother sins against us, when our sister sins against us. Because we know, apart from God's grace, none of us deserves mercy. And so, Peter calls for us in light of God's eternal imperishable seed that has been planted in your heart that will never leave you. Love one another earnestly. When God gets a hold of your heart and opens your eyes to His Word and that joy it brings, we want others to experience that as well. So let me ask you this. Do you treasure and enjoy the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you love the word of God? Do you understand the depths of the riches entailed in this book? Let's just take a moment to reflect on what God's word actually says about itself. Turn with me. To 2 Timothy, so this is uh, a little bit before it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This should be probably a familiar scripture to many of you. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 1 Timothy, my fault. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. No, I'm all over the place here. Sorry, forgive me for that it help if I turn to the right book. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want you to draw, draw you back to that first phrase. All scripture is breathed out by God. Let me just think about that for a moment. What we have here in the original text, this word was breathed out by God. Forty plus authors wrote this book, consistent with, all, with one another. God's spirit moving to have the writers wrote what they wrote. And we have this. Just listen to what God's word says about itself in the book of Psalms. We're not going to go through these verses. Psalm 119 is a great place to go if you're just like, Lord, I need refresh. My soul needs refresh to be reminded of the gift of God's word because it's grown cold to me. It becomes a chore to me. Uh, these are some thoughts from Psalm 119 that I'm just going to highlight real quick. God's word is pure. It is true. In a place, in a world that we live in where truth is subjective, we find the objective truth of God's word. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not what you think truth is. Truth is what God says truth is, and God's word is pure, it is true. It's a shield for us, it's a guard against sin. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's words contain wondrous things. It's a counselor, it strengthens us. It's more precious than gold or silver. It gives wisdom. It's sweeter than honey. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a, a light unto our path. 1 John 5.3 says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Brothers and sisters, perhaps your heart has grown cold to the Word of God because you've looked at it as something that you have to do versus something that you get to Participate in reading, and it's God's breathe breathe out words to you, meant to give us hope. And God's word, even here in this passage, it gives us life. It gives us life that will never perish. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you again your eternity, if you've truly repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, your eternity is secure. Think of it this way. A hundred years from now, we will be rejoicing with our Savior and we won't care about most of the things that consume our minds today. Are you hoping in the eternal Word of God today? Is your hope in Christ and in His Word leading you to love others earnestly? The ability... To love others comes from belief in the gospel. The ability to love others comes from our eternal hope through God's word. And lastly, the ability to love others comes from being changed by the gospel. The ability to love others comes from being changed by the gospel. Look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So, In light of God's eternal word, in light of the fact that your souls have been purified by belief in the gospel, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Listen, when we, when we encounter the living God and he rescues us from our sins, he changes us. And, and part of that change, as we've discussed and as we are called to here today, is that we grow in loving one another. Notice there are two big changes that take place here in, in the word. First of all, he changes our behavior. The gospel changes our behavior. Verse one, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These behaviors that you see here should not be named among us. Malice, uh, this is evil, wickedness, depravity. It's, It's having hateful feelings towards others. It's being hostile towards one another. Look, have you ever felt that desire internally to hurt someone? Have you had such hatred towards another person that you long for bad things to happen to them? Brothers and sisters, this is not becoming of a believer. Put it all away. There is no room in the house of the Lord for this, especially toward one another. There are few things more hurtful, more devastating than fighting amongst believers. Put away all deceit, trickery, lying to one another. We know this. This is not loving to be deceitful. We need to grow in being honest with one another. I think one way that we need to grow, sometimes we're deceitful by, hey, how are you doing? And what's the common man response? Fine. How many times? Has God given you the opportunity to respond in those moments by saying, you know what? Not good. I remember in college, uh, college was okay for me. I had my moments and I had struggles. And there's one particular day I'm just walking through campus, just just had a rough day, just struggling to connect with people. And this girl asked, like, hey, Ben, how are you doing? I was like, not good. And her response was, oops. (laughs) Like, oops, I should have asked you. (laughs) But have you gotten opportunities To lay a burden over for someone who could care for you, but instead you're fine. Listen, I I think in a way that that is not loving others. I had a friend who always looked to care for me, but he would never open up his life to me back. It's like you you don't even need me. So why are we gonna? We can't we can't earnestly love one another if we're not going to be honest. So, you may not see that as deceitful by saying you're fine, but in a way, I really think it is. We can't love one another if we don't truly know one another. And we can't know one another if we're going to hide what's going on inside of us. Put away hypocrisy, don't be one person in church and another person in private. Don't be a friend to someone in person and then stab them in the back. Are you the same person in public as you are behind closed doors when no one else can see? Listen, you can't truly love others while living a hypocritical life. Here's what I see happen too. When we're living a hypocritical life, we're also being deceptive. We're also hiding something. And you know what? We're careful of how much time we will spend with other believers because we don't want them to find out about our hypocritical life. Put away envy. Envy is jealousy. It's looking at someone who has something that you want. This can be a real challenge, can't it? You look around and you see other people who have more than what you have and they have what you want, but God hasn't given it to you for some reason. This could be good things. This could be, you know, like money. People who have more money than you want. Perhaps you're single, desiring to be married, and you're seeing your friends get married. You look around and you covet and you desire and so instead of loving others you pull away and you try to find opportunities to stay away from certain situations that might cause you pain because you don't have what they have this is envy this is we can't love others if we are looking and, and desiring to the point of hating even sometimes what other people have God may have given others more than what you have, but the Bible calls for us to guard our hearts with all vigilance. You can't love others well and be envious of them. The last thing mentioned here is slander. This is when we speak poorly of others behind their backs, things that are often untrue. I remember, I don't know, a year or so ago, Uh, A year or so ago, I met with a couple SBC, Southern Baptist Church, uh, churches in the area. And I thought thought it was a good lunch, good connections, was able just to share a little bit. Some struggles I was having at the time, but overall, I just felt like it was a great meeting. And, uh, you know, I I wasn't at a bad place, but I'm kind of an honest person. If I'm struggling with stuff, I'd love for people to carry my burdens. And uh, I get a call later. uh, These guys apparently were with some other SBC pastors, and they had just shared that, oh, you know what, Ben is a mess. They're in some serious trouble over there. And so this other pastor was just checking in on me, like, you okay? Like, these guys said that you were struggling in a really hard place. I'm like, what? That was hurtful. Perhaps they weren't slandering me, they weren't putting me, in, but they were saying things that weren't true. Like, look, I'm just trying to share, like, simple burdens. These were not even major burdens, but they took it and said that we were a mess. This this is not befitting of believers. And what Peter is saying with all these sayings is put them away from you. Put them away. You can't love others and then live this way. And when we encounter the gospel, God changes us in these things. It doesn't mean we never struggle with them. But if we're not experiencing conviction and we're continually doing these things, we need to do a heart check. Either we have slipped in our understanding of God's grace towards us, or we aren't believers at all. Here's the good news, though. The gospel is conforming us into the image of His son. And we have the chance to participate in that by doing away with these behaviors. Christ is changing us. He changes our behaviors. But also look at verse 2 again. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. God also is changing our passions. He's changing our desires. As believers, we, we begin to look at the world and what the world values, and, we, and it becomes bitter in our mouth. We, we don't want what the world's wisdom is. We want God's wisdom. And so we begin to crave for the word of God like a, a newborn infant. He's saying, Long for the milk. Have you ever been around a, a newborn and whenever mom has them and it's dinner time, what's that baby doing? It's longing. <laughs> it's longing for that milk source. And it'll do whatever it can. And if you wait too long, what does that baby do? Screams after it longs for it, and this is what Peter's saying, long for it. And what he's saying is like, look, it's not your nature. I don't wake up in the morning like, I can't wait to get in God's word. There are some days I do, and there are a lot of days I don't. So Peter's like, look, you have to long for it. Here's the problem that we have, and and this has been true, I believe, in every time of the world, but I think it, it just feels like all the more the temptation is strong today, We have so many distractions that take us away from God's Word, so many other things that we crave. Never in any other time in history have we had anything that we could possibly want at our fingertips. How how much are we on this thing? How many of us wake up to this? How many of us go to bed, go to sleep with this? How many of us live our lives throughout our day with this in our hands? We are so distracted. And Peter, I think in a sense, is saying, put away those distractions. Look, the more you fill yourself with the things of this world, the more you're gonna crave them and the less you're gonna long for the things of God. I mean, think about it from a a healthy eating perspective. If you are a person like me (laughs) who struggles with sugar, loves, I'm not talking about like natural sugars, I'm talking about like, you know, the stuff that you shouldn't have, the added sugars. The more you eat it, the more you crave it, and then you go to parties, and you got potato chips, and then you got the veggies over here. You're like, yeah, no thanks. I'm going to go with the chips. But, but what I found is when I've made the decisions, you know what? I'm going to be done with sugar. I'm going to put it aside. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, these veggies and, 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 and fruit, this, is, this actually tastes good. And it's actually fulfilling. And you know what? I don't feel like garbage the next day. I want more of it. And so I need to be reminded, Ben, you got to long for what's healthy for you. Because if you don't, you're going to hurt yourself in the end. This is what Peter is saying to us. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. That by it you may mature. Listen, believer, some of you this morning, you, you don't even know where your Bible is. The problem is, for so many of us, we are spiritual infants. We aren't growing up because we never look at God's word. Look, when my child took their first steps, it was amazing. I loved it. It was like, good job, Reese. You're walking. She just came home to bid us this week. Guess what? I didn't cheer for her. Oh, Reese, you're walking. You walked into our house. Why? Because she's grown up. Brothers and sisters, if, if you repented of your sins 20 years ago and you look the same as you did back then, something is seriously wrong. You haven't been changed by the gospel. Perhaps you've never been changed, or just perhaps you've been a lazy believer in this morning. There's a warning for us here. Let me read verse two, and then we'll go into verse three and we'll finish. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you still look like an infant this morning, I want you to ask yourself, have you even been born again? Or are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Listen, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, it should have an effect on your life. Your behavior should look different. Not perfect, but there should be this sense where you look more like Christ today than you did when you got saved. Have your passions changed? Listen, this is one where I think it's easy. We have seasons, right? There are seasons where my passions for Christ are strong. My passions for his word are great, and I wake up in the morning, and I can't wait to get in, this, in his word. And there are other times where I've allowed my entertainment choices to distract me. We need maybe you just need to be kickstarted to remember you've tasted that the Lord is good. Put away those added sugars and go to the natural food, go to the good stuff that will grow you up. Our big idea, loving others flows from a heart that has been changed by the gospel. When the gospel gets a hold of our lives and saves us, it leaves us changed forever. The overflow of that will result in loving others. So I plead with you, brothers and sisters, this morning, examine your hearts. Ask the Lord to search you and know you to see if there's any wicked way in you. Are you harboring any bitterness or anger towards a brother or sister in Christ? Or anybody for that matter? That sort of unforgiveness is not compatible with a gospel-centered life. Forgive that person as Christ has forgiven you. Earnestly love one another because God has purified your soul. He has given you an imperishable seed that will never fade. What a gracious and merciful God we serve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have done for us. You have done great things. Lord, we are so undeserving of your mercy. We were running a hell-bound race, indifferent to you. But Lord, you looked upon our helpless estate and you led us to the cross. And now we behold God's love displayed. You suffered in our place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all we know is grace, oh Lord. May that be our song. May that overflow into loving others. Father, as we love you, as we truly love you, and as you change us, we can't help but love others. And so, Father, would you overflow our hearts this morning with the love for you, the love for Christ. Our hope is in you alone, Lord. Remind us of that, God. We desperately need you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to.